Hey y'all, this is Stephen Haug, co-host of Not So Private Equity. We have a great discussion ahead of us today, but before we dive in, I want to thank our sponsor, ECA Partners. ECA is an executive search and on-demand consulting firm specializing in low and mid-market private equity. To learn more about ECA services, you can reach them through their website, eca-partners.com. Now, I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Andrew Town. Andrew is a partner at Olympus Pines, former BCG consultant and accomplished athlete. Andrew, welcome to Not So Private Equity. Stephen, thanks for having me. Good. Well, of course, lots of things that we want to talk about with you today. We want to understand where Olympus Pines fits into the broader private equity landscape. would love to hear about your BCG days. But do you mind if we start by hearing about your athletic achievements first? <laughs> sure. I grew up in rural North Dakota, and as a teen, I was actually as unathletic as you can get, so much so that my friends used to tease me for being quite overweight. In college, I wanted to reinvent myself as an athlete. The only sport that took people with no experience was rowing, and over the course of four years, I made a personal goal to always do better in every successive endurance test. And in my senior year, I was lucky enough to not only make the varsity boat, but also to join seven other very talented individuals. And together we won the Division I National Championship my senior year in college. So that kicked off for me a love of pushing my mental and physical. And since I'm afraid of heights, it turned into pushing and challenging my fear of heights through mountaineering. And for 12 years, I spent just about every vacation day that I had attempting to climb larger and larger mountains until 2017 when I finished my goal of climbing the tallest mountain on every continent. And that was with a 2017 ascent of Mount Everest. So you're tackling all of the, they're all 8,000 meter peaks, right? As you've climbed all of those. Oh, actually the tallest on every continent with the exception of Everest are not over 8,000 meters. In Kilimanjaro, for example, is 19,000 feet tall. In Antarctica, Mount Vincent, Vincent Massive is only 16,000 feet tall. But there is another challenge. Some of the best mountaineers in the world climb the tallest 8,000 meter peaks in the world. And those are all concentrated in the Himalayas. So that's even, even one step further. Was Everest the last one that you climbed or did you hit that earlier in your adventure? It was. Mount Everest was the last one. It took me two tries. I was tragically at Mount Everest base camp when an earthquake hit the country of Nepal and unleashed a big avalanche on me and my teammates and the rest of Everest base camp. Uh, Netflix recently released a documentary called Aftershock, I believe, about the event. And my teammates and I were lucky to survive and to be able to help both the other casualties at base camp and also some of the communities in the Kumbu Valley recover and make the most of the tragedy, which was the earthquake. Oh, wow. The incredible story there, Andrew, and fitting all of this in with the rest of your achievements. Uh, certainly accomplished career, both as an athlete and as a professional. Is there anything more you can tell us about your Everest trip? Because I know that in our conversations, that, that was quite an eventful story, in addition to being quite uh, eventful and traumatic. Yeah, I think Mount Everest, indeed, all of the major peaks that I've climbed, and certainly the earthquake and avalanche have taught me two things. First, our time here on earth is extremely precious. And for me, that translates to trying to seize the day and make sure that if tomorrow were my last day, that I would be proud of who I was in my community and with my family today. And second, 
it taught me the importance of resilience, which matters in every aspect of life. I believe that it's not a question of if we will stumble or fail, but when. And so the determinative factor in all of our lives and happiness is what we do when we stumble, how we pick ourselves back up. Thanks for that, Andrew. Do you find any correlation between the way that you push yourself in your athletic endeavors with your professional career? So I'm thinking about is, are you able to feel the same fulfillment and push yourself and achieve things in your professional career the way that you feel that you do in your extracurricular activities? Yes. My college rowing experience taught me that for me, there was no better feeling than pushing myself through the pain of the race and finishing proud of how hard I had pushed. So that translates into almost every element of my life. Uh, What I enjoy most is choosing a goal, pursuing that goal, and then being able to look back on the way that I worked toward the goal and be proud. And so in sports, it's easy. You have a goal time or how much you want to lift or whatever, and you either train to get there or you don't. In professional contexts, it's do we want to release a product by a certain date? Do we want to finish an analysis by a certain date? Do we want to close a transaction by a certain date? Or do we want to hit performance goals by the end of the year? And I love the combination of leadership and teamwork and prioritization that allows teams to achieve goals that are bigger than they thought they could pull off. Tell us a bit about how you've balanced all this, if you don't mind, because thinking about your career as an athlete and those achievements, usually if we saw a resume like that of of an athlete, we would assume that they spent all their time training as their full-time job. But you also had a career in consulting, which is famous for requiring 80-hour weeks. How are you able to balance all this? Sure. I believe that in life, we can't have everything, but if we focus and prioritize, we can have a couple of things. And so for me, what matters to me is being able to train for and go on expeditions in the mountains and in ocean rowing while also having a career that excites me. And in graduate school, that meant I wasn't going to a lot of happy hours, but I was studying hard and then hitting the gym hard after school. At BCG, it meant I was working hard, but I would also share with my colleagues, if I had a mountaineering expedition like Mount Everest a year in advance, I would put it on the calendar and I would structure my casework such that I could such that I could take an extended leave. And I actually found BCG to be very supportive of both taking the leave to go on the expeditions and also fitting in the time necessary to train. But it did mean that sometimes I would have to skip some of the social events in order to have the two things that were more important to me. Do you have any big trips coming up that you could share with us? My wife and I are hoping to do another expedition in the Andes, if not this year, then certainly in 2024, but we haven't picked the mountain yet. Okay. Well, that's exciting. And I look forward to hearing about that accomplishment as well as you get closer to that and complete that trip. Let's chat a little bit more about your BCG days here. Can you tell us about that career? Want to understand a bit about the projects that you were engaged on and then the decision to to leave? Because of course you left after quite a bit of success. Certainly. Very briefly, how I got into consulting was actually related to my career before graduate school, and that was working for the CIA. 
I was a sophomore in college on 9-11, and so many classmates and I sort of shifted our focus in the direction of national security as a reaction to the hate we saw in the world on 9-11. And it was while I was serving with the CIA in northern Iraq in the city of Mosul that I realized that at the time, 2010-2011, insurgents were not as strongly motivated by ideology as they were by lack of economic opportunity. And so it, it was an aha moment for me because it made me realize that one of the best things that you can do to promote stability in a city or a region or a country is actually to create economic opportunities and have a vibrant economy. So I joined BCG because I was excited to get experience and exposure to some of the largest, most dynamic companies in the world and their senior most decision making, while also scratching a personal itch of being able to travel a lot, which I've always loved. So BCG was a really terrific place for me in the sense that I was able to work in Europe, in Kazakhstan, across North America for many different industries and clients. And ultimately, why I shifted into Olympus Pines had to do with my love of doing, of actually building and leading and getting things done myself, as opposed to helping clients get things done. But then the role of the consultant is in some ways a bit like a coach. You can bring great ideas and you can help people lead complex transformations. But at the end of the day, it is the business leader who owns the risk and also owns the success of having pulled it off. So I was interested in private equity and Olympus Pines because it afforded me a direct opportunity to lead that change as opposed to a slightly less direct opportunity to lead the change. Tell us more about Olympus Pines. Where does it fit into the broader landscape of private equity? Sure. So Olympus Pines is a small firm. We invest in retail businesses on behalf of our limited partners. And at the moment, our strategy is focused on the car wash space. But we're owners and operators of the Tommy's Express car wash brand. They're headquartered out of Holland, Michigan. And we do a combination of acquisition and greenfield development. And we're proud of creating the best jobs in the retail industry in all of our geographies. Is there anything specific about the car wash space that gets you all excited about investing in it? Absolutely. The car wash space today is undergoing a nationwide transformation. I think of it almost like an infrastructure upgrade where you've got lots of sort of older assets in place and some of the newer car wash models, especially Tommy's Express, is it's a big investment in a community and it's a beautiful and efficient and sustainable, i.e. eco-friendly wash that provides great value to our guests for example, through the membership where they can actually wash their car as many times as they want in a month for a modest fee, as well as for the communities because 80% of the water that we use is reclaimed. We filter it all on site and we're very environmentally friendly. What role do you play inside of the firm? Sure. As a partner, I work with our business partners in all aspects of investment and operations. So that's Everything from choosing and valuing the investments to making sure that we deliver on the projections that we built into the financial model in terms of timing to close, timing to bring results, et cetera. Whenever you were evaluating opportunities, leaving your consulting career, what was it about Olympus Pines that allowed them to win you over as opposed to, say, a larger private equity firm or, or any of the other opportunities that you were considering? Two things. First, for me, culture was the most important thing I was looking for. 
I know that I like to work hard. I know that I like to work in teams. And so the people with whom I'm working hard matters a lot to me. And my business partners in Olympus Pines, Trevor Sperry and Mike Cianelli are, are two of the most humble and incredible people that I've had the pleasure of working with. So that to me makes a huge difference because I look forward to every time we have a meeting together or every time we work together, we have very similar values. We have some very similar goals. And so that just makes every day of work that much more fun. Second, I liked the idea of building something a little bit earlier stage. And I didn't realize that until I talked to a lot of different companies across the full spectrum of mature to earlier stage. But there's something electric about being closer to the beginning of a firm's history, that there's more room to set the standards and processes that you use for the future and to really set the trajectory in terms of everything from early hiring to teams to culture to processes. And I like that. I've always been a guy who likes to be an inch deep and a mile wide. And so being able to touch all aspects of our growth is very fun for me. Talking about Olympus Pines and your decision to join that firm, something that's come up a couple of times just in our, our chat here is you know, the people, the culture, and creating great jobs for your employees. Is this emphasis on people something unique to Olympus Pines, or is, is it something that you see more broadly in private equity? The reason I ask this is I think that private equity has a stigma for caring most about the bottom line and chasing that regardless of the people. Yeah, that was not my experience when I was talking to a lot of different private equity firms. And perhaps it's because it might have been my own bias that I was specifically looking for places that cared about both their people and the employees of their portfolio companies. Or it might actually be representative of a larger fact, which is I believe the data suggests that the most successful companies, private equity owned or not, are those that have strong talent retention and attraction processes in place. In other words, I actually think that generally speaking, companies win by being good for their stakeholders, which is their employees and their communities. But private equity specific, the private equity firms that I was most attracted to beyond Olympus Pines were those that had the tightest collaboration between their investing and portfolio operations teams and those that had the strongest partnerships between their portfolio operations and their portfolio companies themselves. I think that by having transparent communication, strong alignment and goals, and a willingness to have each other's backs in pursuit of a goal, nine times out of 10 is going to get you to where you want to go. <laughs> Good. And you were very diligent about deciding which private equity firm to join. Is there any advice you could give to folks either coming out of consulting, looking to move into private equity, or folks in general interested in potentially joining a private equity firm or portfolio company uh, that you could share? Absolutely. The first piece of advice is know thyself and to thine own self be true. Because I think a lot of people are trying to do something very challenging, but maybe not actually trying to do something that deep in their heart of hearts, they actually want to do for themselves. So this is advice that I would give to an 18-year-old, a 22-year-old, or a 30-year-old. Like at all points in our lives, we got to know what's right for us. And sometimes what's right for us is playing the trombone and not actually being in finance at all. Or sometimes it's finding something that enables us to be the husband or father or sister or brother that we want to be. And sometimes it's leading very fast-paced transformations, either as an advisor or as a private equity owner or leader. So that's the first piece of advice is, is actually really just take the time to reflect and know who you are and what will make you happy. 
And then the second piece of advice to people considering private equity would be, I believe it's okay to ask any question. It's important to be concise and have a purpose and demonstrate the extent to which you've sort of done your homework. And what I mean by that is like, whenever I was having a coffee chat or an interview, I would try to make sure that I knew what was easily knowable so that the questions that I was asking people were as unique to who they were and what they worked on as possible. And I got the sense that I think people appreciate that because they know that it's the opposite of wasting their time. Like you're asking them things that only they can answer as opposed to what's the name of your firm again? You know, like nobody wants to take a call of like, what the heck do you do? It's like, well, why why am I talking to you if you don't know what the heck I do? (laughs) Yeah, good point. Usually whenever I see the resume or LinkedIn of a partner at a private equity firm, they spent time in investment banking rather than consulting. Are there any gaps in your toolkit since you didn't spend your career in investment banking? Uh, and do you find that you bring anything extra to the table because you have a consulting background rather than an investment banking background? Great question. So you're right. I was never full-time investment banking, but I did three internships during and after my MBA in private equity, distress investing, and investment banking. While I was never full-time finance professional, there was a lot of focus on finance during grad school and immediately afterward. And then for me, I think where the skill set aligned well was that at BCG, my passion was complex and results-oriented transformations. So these were often companies either private equity-backed or with very focused mandates for change and where our clients needed us to help them to get somewhere very specific in terms of the bottom line within a very short time frame. And that's not easy. And it requires strong cultural alignment, very clear goals broken down to all levels of the organization, and then very clear accountability milestones with very quick adaptation when you're not hitting the milestones on time. So that skill set from consulting, I thought, was very consistent with a lot of the roles I was looking at in private equity portfolio operations. Because at the end of the day, private equity company, you buy a company, you need to very quickly diagnose exactly what's going on that you didn't learn in due diligence. And then you got to go because your investors are tapping their feet. (laughs) I may not have the sexiest financial model in the history of man, but man, can I structure a transformation. (laughs) Thinking about that, where do you spend or how do you spend most of your day at Olympus Pines? Uh, it's, It's everywhere and I love it. We're still pretty small. So that allows me to touch everything from the investment decision to the change strategy, to the growth strategy, to the actual leadership of results. And along with that comes deciding what I and what we want to delegate, how we want to delegate it, and how often we need to check in and sort of intervene to make sure that the boat continues to row together at the right speed. Did you find in in interviewing at the private equity firms that anyone was hesitant about bringing you on board because you'd spent most of your career in an advisory role and hadn't, at least the reputation of consultants, hadn't had to execute and stay around for the results? Uh, Good question. Nobody gave me that specific feedback or nobody expressed a reluctance about that. However, that might be because the work that I did at BCG often was 100% synced with achieving set deliverables on a particular time frame. And so in that sense, even though I as a consultant was not personally accountable to the bottom line on December 31st, 
our team would be deemed to have failed if we didn't all get there together. Does that make sense? So it was as a consultant, I was never the business leader, but we worked very, very closely to make sure that the teams we supported got where they were trying to go on time. I think that the private equity firms that I got to know probably could see how close that was to actually having owned the P&L myself. Yeah, that's a great point. Do you think the type of project where the, let's say probably the part of the fee or, or some other metrics are, are at risk, is that a more common model these days than, than it might have been 10 years or so ago? Uh, I can't speak to how common it is because I, at BCG, I didn't have visibility to other geographies and other offices in the way that they were structuring things. But I can say that I personally thought that it was the best way to structure things because it forced both parties to be extremely clear about exactly what they were trying to do. And the more tightly you're aligned at the start of an intense work period, the more likely it is that you're going to get where you all wanted to. Good point. Well, Andrew, appreciate you chatting with us about your, of course, athletic accomplishments, your consulting days, and Olympus Pines. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our audience with before we wrap up? Stephen, I think my advice to everybody would be, like I said a moment ago, to thine own self, be true. And take the time to have experiences that help you understand what excites you and what type of life you want to live and go after it because the only person who can define success for you is yourself. And no matter which industry you're considering, the people who are currently in that industry will probably tell you that it's the best industry. So you gotta figure out what industry and what job function is the best one for you and yours is the only right answer. That's a good point and helpful insight, Andrew. I always enjoy our conversations and thanks so much for joining us on Not So Private Equity. Stephen, thank you very much.